0: Uh, with these kind words, um, I am indeed with the Energy Community Secretariat and uh, the topic that I will uh, speak to you today about is uh, very close to my heart, so it's enforcement and to every lawyer um, working for a, a community based on the rule of law, of course, strong enforcement it's uh, it's the key for success, so it's the key for ensuring that, uh, that the objectives of uh, the energy community are achieved, but also... Uh, that uh, the efficient protection of investors' rights uh, is uh, ensured and the protection of the values uh, on which the energy community is based, is taken care of. Um, So, as you saw after the title, um, my presentation will be structured in the following manner. I will first talk a bit about the enforcement system as we have it today, so what kind of dispute settlement rules uh, we have uh, enforced today in the energy community and how do we apply them, uh, what is the problem, what are the benefits of having this type of uh, dispute settlement at all, and uh, how does it work in practice, so to share a bit of the experience that we have um, through the years of growing up, as uh, Professor Schmidt von sido mentioned this morning. Um, and also in which direction we are discussing that the reform should go. Uh, In this manner, I will not that much talk about the proposed solutions that will be left to the second uh, speaker uh, of the session, but uh, I hope that talking to you about the enforcement record uh, to date and talking to you about what uh, kind of dispute settlement rules are we applying in the energy community... um, I would like to discuss with you and to pose the question also to you whether you see it fit to ensure the, uh, the achievement of the objectives of the energy community, uh, about which we spoke uh, in the in the morning sessions, and uh, whether you also would see as uh, lawyers, and I'm very happy to see uh, this large number of lawyers present here today, uh, whether you would agree that the energy community, um, as it's growing and as it's getting more and more uh, strong, whether uh, this type of dispute settlement mechanism does not need any reform. Uh, very briefly, many of you, and those ones especially coming from the contracting parties, are uh, aware about the dispute settlement uh, rules that we have, uh, but uh, these couple of slides are just very brief overview for those of you that do not know the details. Uh, so, there is, similarly to the EU enforcement system, um, the preliminary procedure is carried out by the Secretariat before a case is brought to the attention of the Ministerial Council. So it was mentioned this morning, we do not have a court in the energy community, but whenever there is an infringement action, uh, dispute settlement procedure held, the case uh, eventually would go to the Ministerial Council for a decision. As you would see, the procedure could be initiated by the Secretariat on its own motion, but also uh, by a complaint by any private body. And uh, here I underline that uh, there is a broad standing, so everybody could approach the Energy Community Secretariat and could complain against a contracting party. After assessment of the case then it's up to the Secretariat to decide whether it will send an opening letter, which basically corresponds to the letter of formal notice in th- that the European Commission sends to the EU member states, and depending on the answer from the, um, from the contracting party in question, to decide whether it will address a recent opinion to it. During the preliminary procedure, basically the contracting parties have... Um, a lot of opportunities to be heard, a lot of opportunities to discuss with the Secretariat, uh, a lot of bilateral negotiations are going on, and basically most of the cases, as I will show you later on, are finalized in this uh, preliminary procedure, during this preliminary procedure. And uh, not many of them, and in, uh, in fact only two cases so far, have been brought to the attention of the Ministerial Council. So this is the second step of the uh, enforcement procedure. It is the procedure before the Ministerial Council. And uh, you would see that the Ministerial Council brings a legally binding decision, which is basically a yes-no uh, decision. So it either says that there is a existence of a breach. The Ministerial Council can say <coughs> that the contracting party uh, has done a serious and persistent breach to the obligations from the treaty. It may impose sanctions, which you will see has never happened so far, or it may dismiss a complaint, which has also not happened so far. The important step in this uh, preliminary, uh, in this procedure before the Ministerial Council is the opinion of the Advisory Committee. And that's the only uh, legal reasoning that we have throughout the procedure, assessing the legal arguments put forward by the Secretariat, which have opened an infringement procedure against the country. Uh, So far in the two cases uh, before the Ministerial Council uh, it has largely upheld the arguments of the Advisory Committee but there is no discussion on the legal arguments, there is no agreement, they are not binding, the opinion of the Advisory Committee is not binding for the Ministerial Council but the Ministerial Council itself uh, just uh, says yes there was a breach uh, based on the uh, assessment of the Secretariat and the Advisory Committee uh, opinion. So now knowing how the energy community dispute settlement mechanism works, um, here I have summarized a bit, uh, a bit for you uh, what are the main characteristics of this, uh, of this system. So as you could see, this is a politi- political mechanism which does not lead to a judicial decision, if you see that the Ministerial Council is the one to, ta- to has the final say. It also is in, uh, considers cases only infringement against the contracting party. So uh, there are no direct actions, and there is no right of appeal. This would sound strange for many lawyers, because uh, we have legally binding decisions from the institutions of the energy community. And besides the Ministerial Council, also the Regulatory board and the Permanent High Level Group could, if empowered to do so, take a legally binding decision. Uh, But there is no right of appeal. Also, there are no preliminary references, so uh, like to the Court of Justice, because obviously we do not have a court. So, this means that the national courts are basically not involved in the full process and there is no possibility for any judicial dialogue because there is no court giving a final uh, decision. Also, being a system uh, of disputes uh, initiated only against the contracting parties, it means that there are no disputes heard between private parties. And also there are no investor-state disputes um, addressed with this dispute settlement mechanism. So basically the only right of protection to the investors given through this system is the mere right to complain to the secretariat, which happens very often, uh, to approach the secretariat and to complain against the contracting party, saying that the contracting party X or Y has not implemented on time or has wrongly implemented uh, legally binding energy community legislation. So obviously there are limits to this type of dispute settlement system and as it was also acknowledged in the morning in the first years of existence of the energy community there was not even a need to have any kind of dispute settlement mechanism from day one Uh, because it would not be applied in practice before the deadlines uh, and the obligations, uh, the deadlines for obligations of the contracting parties expire, or before there is any kind of uh, starting up of the process of reforms in the contracting parties, before the ownership of the energy community is not taken by the contracting parties and uh, and the participants to the market. Um, So the political nature... um, is obviously a limitation to uh, any dispute settlement uh, in a community based on the rule of law. It has an ad hoc character, so the Ministerial Council meets once a year, and that is the moment When there are many other topics, as you may guess, on the agenda of this uh, political body to decide about the future of the energy community, to decide about daily things, so the dispute settlement is only one of the topics of the agenda. So also when the Secretariat considers whether a case should be brought to a Ministerial Council, have also to take into consideration whether not the full agenda of the Ministerial Council would be blocked by deciding on a couple of cases. There is no legal assessment, so as I said, the Ministerial Council takes a yes-no decision, so also the incentive for the Secretariat to bring a case before the Ministerial Council is obviously limited. And also, another thing, if the decision-makers, which are the ministers in charge of our energy, are the ones <coughs> who are also responsible as uh, representing a country that is a subject to a dispute, uh, you may guess uh, the outcome of such a decision. Imagine a case that I will mention a bit uh, later on, Again, initiated against several contracting parties. Um, if five or six contracting parties are at the least to be infringed by the uh, Ministerial Council, and all these six ministers have to vote for any of their peers, would you expect any reasonable or any kind of uh, legally binding and efficient decision? So, of course, the other limit is we don't have a court, so the Ministerial Council is the only body with which we are left to plead our cases in front. Uh, And also there are no effective, dissuasive, and adequate sanctions. The Ministerial Council can indeed impose a sanction against the contracting party if it infringes the energy community law, but these sanctions are basically a suspension of voting rights, exclusion from the meetings, or from some of the mechanisms of the, under the treaty so we can interpret what does this mean in practice and what kind of sanctions can be imposed against the contracting parties but so far in these 10 years of existence of the energy community we did not have a chance to hear about any of them because even though uh, at the last ministerial council it had a chance, this body had a chance to impose a sanction against uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina this did not happen so so I would like to sum up about the existing energy uh, community enforcement system is that it's one of the weakest points of the energy community. So we have heard, uh, especially during the last couple of years, a lot of calls for its improvement, be it by the energy community institutions themselves or also by the European institutions. So very briefly, if we are uh, leaving with this dispute settlement mechanism, then what is the other protection of the energy community values and legal rules? What other means do, for instance, the investors have? I will not go into details, but the options are clearly limited. So they can go to the national courts, which obviously do not also know very much about the existence of the energy community law, and they certainly do not apply it in practice, even though um, one could claim that the direct applicability and the state liability are also concepts part of the energy community law. And also international arbitration, maybe we will hear then later on uh, more about this. But for the moment, it has not been considered suitable also for domestic undertakings or for small investors. They would rather refrain from uh, bringing the case to arbitration, what is the practice so far? So I think this would be the, one of the most interesting slides for you to hear what type of cases <coughs> the uh, energy community has had so far, and what kind of issues are we discussing. Uh, there have been many cases for, uh, initiated by the Secretariat against contracting parties for lack of transposition of energy community law. But also, um, a number of them have been dealt with non-implementation or not incorrect implementation of the energy community law. It's interesting to see that even though it's a sector-specific community, and of course energy is at the core of our business here, uh, the Secretariat has initiated cases going beyond the energy area, and we have looked into the other areas of law that are part of the energy community aqui This morning, you may remember the slide uh, that the Director Kopacz has uh, presented to you, And even though limited, still uh, we have uh, binding, legally uh, binding legislation in different um, areas. So the Secretariat has so far initiated three cases for lack of uh, state aid uh, legislation in the contracting parties, several cases for not implementation of the sulfur and fuel directive in the environmental field. We have uh, also opened several infringement actions against... uh, contracting parties for um, not implementation of energy efficiency legislation or for not submission of uh, renewable section plans. So, as you may see, the areas of law are going beyond energy and that makes also the energy community (laughs) law and the dispute settlement system more relevant for the countries. There have also been cases initiated against a single country, but also few of them... um, are addressed against more than one contracting parties. So, for instance, here I refer to a case that we have opened against six contracting parties for lack of common coordinated congestion management (coughs) method. This case has never arrived to the Ministerial Council and uh, currently we have also closed the case uh, initiated against uh, several contracting parties. But through the years there have been maybe plenty of possibilities to go to the Ministerial Council with this case because the breach was quite obvious. We did not do that and maybe you would remember a few of the issues that I have mentioned uh, related to the limitations of the dispute settlement system and limitations of a Ministerial Council deciding on such a case. And you would guess why this case did not manage to arrive to the Ministerial Council. But we also have other very interesting cases uh, that are inspiring for uh, lawyers, not only uh, from the contracting parties, but also lawyers from the EU member states, uh, lawyers working in the Commission, lawyers pleading in front of the European Court of Justice. Uh, For instance, the European Commission and the Court of Justice never had a case about cost reflectivity of tariffs. Uh, It is not that relevant for the EU member states, maybe, because the distribution tariffs are not... Uh, that much discussed as they are in the contracting parties of the energy community. But this is a very interesting uh, concept that was developed by the Secretariat in its opening letters against... uh, We had an open infringement that is now closed, and you can see it on the website, against uh, Montenegro. But we also have been approached by several other investors from other contracting parties related to the same issue. So obviously the cost reflectivity concept that has never been discussed by the European (coughs) institutions... It is a legal concept, and it was um, quite in the focus in the energy community. The local content requirement is a case that was initiated against Ukraine. Um, so this is also a case that uh, does not have a precedence in the in the EU. And also we are discussing cases for lack of unbundling, um, the last one and the only one that made its, uh, made its way to the Ministerial Council is the case uh, against uh, Serbia for lack of, uh, of unbundling uh, and fulfilling the obligations under the second package even, where the Ministerial Council find that Serbia breached its obligations under the treaty due to lack of unbundling. And that's it. There was no further discussion, there was no reasoning behind it and there was no sanction, as you could guess. But as I said, uh, we, even without making it to the Ministerial Council, uh, so far we have achieved positive results in the preliminary procedure hel- uh, carried on by the Secretariat. Because as the Commission has also quite discretion when it negotiates its case during the preliminary procedure with the Member States, we also do the same uh the secretariat with the contracting parties, because at the end of the day, uh, the aim of the dispute settlement is not to uh, to have a decision by the ministerial council or to have a fine against uh, the contracting parties. The objective behind it is to achieve compliance. The objective behind this is that the contracting party in question complies with the obligation that it has legally undertaken to bring. Uh, into compliance, whether it's uh, to adopt the legislation, to adopt the primary secondary legislation, to repair a behaviour by some of its market operators, whether it's a TSO, whether it's some of its institutions such as the regulator, and so on. So the idea is to achieve compliance and to go forward with the with the reforms. So. Uh, we have also heard that this has been the case and these uh, positive results have been achieved due to the, basically the persuasiveness of the legal arguments uh, put forward by the Secretariat in its opening uh, letters and in its recent opinions when the case has made uh, up to that stage. The Secretariat has not referred only to, uh, has not based its opening letters only on the pure provisions of the energy legislation, but also it has relied on the free movement provisions. We have only the free movement of goods in the treaty, but we have used it quite extensively in our um, infringement actions. We have relied on competition provisions. We have also uh, relied on general legal principles, the principle of non-discrimination, the principle of proportionality, legal certainty have been quite often um, invoked in our uh, cases. And also we have backed our arguments uh, with reliance on the European Court of Justice case law. Of course, it is an external judicial body, but when we do not have one inside and we have a reference in the treaty that we will rely on our cases uh, with the European Court of Justice case law, we have done that extensively. And that basically leads also to the countries and to the, to the operators to, uh, uh, to comply and to bring to an end uh, the infringement. Of course, then also the limits are that there are sometimes politically sensitive cases that it's difficult to make up to the Ministerial Council, but also, as I said, uh, the possibility that the Ministerial Council have, but have never used, uh, to impose sanctions to the contracting parties in question. So what is the future? Uh, It's obvious that if we are a community based on the rule of law, if we have a legally binding treaty and legally binding legislation and obligations... Uh, This dispute settlement uh, system, as it stands now, it's not fit for delivering the results and the expectations. Uh, It has been mentioned that we are discussing the high-level reflection group proposals. (coughs) There was an analytical paper drafted by the Secretariat and the European Commission, a public consultation. So here are some of the possible ways. We are discussing establishment of a judicial body, and you would all, I hope, agree that it would... Of course, introduce judicial protection uh, for the countries to which a decision has been uh, adopted by the, by the uh, institutions of the energy community. It will uh, overcome possible deadlocks in the Ministerial Council when a case against several contracting parties have been brought in front of it. It will allow also interpretation of the treaty and applying EU constitutional principles by a judicial body of the energy community. But it will also contribute to development of the EU energy law because as you heard we are looking into cases and issues that are not only uh, region specific but also that have never been addressed so far by the European institutions. And of course we would like to see a revision of the system of sanctions, um, it has including financial penalties, because that would, in our view, increase compliance with the energy community law and of course would ensure effective implementation. Thank you very much for the attention. I hope. I was brief enough. (laughs) (laughs) That open for questions.